live episode two of Dominate Pre-Med. And today we are breaking down med school admissions, simplifying pre-med. Let's cut everything else out and let's streamline it. Let's simplify it. It's the two D's of pre-med, the two things you need to do to be a great pre-med and to get to medical school. Let's check it out, y'all. Here we go. But stop making excuses. Stop whining. Stop, right? Get at it. No excuses. Just dominate. Oh, I am so excited that the Dominate Pre-Med Show is here. If you are joining me for the first time, I am live right now on YouTube filming this. You may be watching this after the fact on the podcast. Either way, I hope you enjoy. I hope you subscribe. I hope you keep coming back because this show is all about you guys and getting you to medical school. I am here to answer your questions. I am here to teach you how to efficiently and confidently pre-med so you can get into the med school of your dreams. I'm Dr. Andre Pintet. I'm a Stanford Medical School graduate. I'm a faculty member at the University of California, San Diego, in the Department of Anesthesia. And today we're simplifying and streamlining med school admissions. Many of you guys have heard me talk about the fact that <clears throat> medical school admissions are getting more competitive. Have you guys heard that from people? It's hard to get to medical school. It's getting harder every year. I shouldn't wait a year because it's getting harder. And <laughs> that's true and that's false at the same time. Yes, as a whole, it is getting harder and more competitive to get into medical school. Yes, that is true. That is accurate. That is factual. With that being said, it's not getting so much more competitive every year that you should rush your application and say, you know what? I don't think I'm ready. I could benefit from doing these extra things this next year, but I'm going to apply this year because next year is going to be so much more competitive that it's going to change the complexity of my application. That's not the case. It's just an aggregate as a whole. It's getting more competitive. So it's important that we understand that as we say that. Why is it more competitive, guys, to get into medical school? Why? What is making it so difficult, so hard for you guys? All you want to do is become a doctor. All you want to do is give back to your community. All you want to do is help people. So why is it so hard to get into medical school? Why, why, why? We can wait, right? We are live action here. We can wait for people to chime in. This is collaborative, right? It's about you guys. So why is it so difficult for people to get into medical school? Well, it starts with sample size. There are a lot more people applying to medical school these days than there were in the past. And with more people becomes more selection, right? The supply is huge. It exceeds the demand. And so medical schools can be more selective about who they let in. It used to be back in the day that there were some qualified applicants who didn't get in. But today, in this day and age, there are a ton of wonderfully qualified, exceptional human beings who don't get into medical school who do not get into medical school. They have done the things, they, they have all the requirements technically, but they don't get into medical school. And that's why you see a lot of the debate on a lot of the things you look at everywhere where it's like, well, why did this person get in like with these numbers and with these things? And people say, oh, it's because of this and because of that. It's simply a numbers game. And it requires you doing more than just checking all the boxes. If you're just going to be a box checker, you're not going to be as exceptional as medical schools need in this day and age to let you in because they have so many options. Why not go with the best, right? 
So there are so many more people applying both domestically and then also internationally. Applicants coming from abroad trying to get into medical school schools, it's up. The Canadians are coming in full force. My Canadian brothers are representing from the north. So there are a lot of people applying. And in addition to first-time applicants, there's a lot more reapplicants, which is a great thing in the sense that people understand that sometimes it's just not your year. Sometimes because there's such a huge volume of applications, things don't go your way. Maybe you applied late in the cycle. Maybe you missed a, a period here or a comma there, whatever it might be. Maybe you forgot to get a letter of recognition on time. Things can happen in your application that make it so that you don't get in the first time. That doesn't mean you will never get in. So for all of you guys, right, if you're someone who's been rejected or you're concerned about getting rejected, it's okay to reapply. And you've heard stories of people who apply four, five, six times before they get in. It's a matter of persistence and also not running out of money. That's the other thing is you got to have the finances to apply six times. That's a whole lot of money. Um, but there's a lot more reapplicants. And so that also increases the pool size. Whereas before people would apply once, apply twice, and then be done and move on to something else. People are sticking with it and, and really hunkering in saying, I want to be a doctor. I'm willing to reapply. I'm willing to get it done. And they're going about it. So, um, yes, yeah, so lots more applicants, a lot more reapplicants. Um, the other thing is that the statistics are being driven up. So if you guys even look from the time the new MCAT was introduced a couple years ago to now, the average on that MCAT has jumped up over two points. So it's like two and a half-ish, almost three points that the average has jumped or the median has jumped up. And this is significant and it reflects the other part of why medical school missions are so much more competitive is because there are so many MCAT resources and people are recognizing that to get something, they must invest, right? To get something, you have to give something. And so people are investing in preparation, right? Uh, JH just said a buddy of mine applied four times before he got in. Yeah, people, it happens. You gotta have, keep those, keep that cash rolling. But so we have to understand that with all these test prep resources, people's MCATs are going up because there's all this availability for you to get the information you need to do well in the MCAT. The problem is this kind of is a disservice. This may be part of the reason why diversity numbers and disadvantage numbers have not risen um, like people would hope is because that is kind of biased towards students who don't have the resources to get an expensive prep class. And that's one of the reasons why I had a lot of these students emailing me, messaging me that I created my MCAT course, how to dominate the MCAT without an expensive prep class that teaches you how to dominate the MCAT literally without the expensive prep class. It teaches you in, how to independently study for the MCAT to make your schedule to do question-based learning and to maximize your study time. I created that to fill that void. If you guys are interested in that, I'll put a link for it below uh, in the description. Um, and I'll put a little discount in there for you guys to help you guys out, my, my financially challenged students. But those kind of things, both the fact that more applicants and they're more qualified applicants because there's more resources available, that is drive, making it more competitive. Um, so now that it's more competitive, what happens is, is people start getting more and more creative, like desperate people, right? Whenever we're desperate, you get creative. Like I, I like for me, if my cupboard is full, right? And my refrigerator is full, I sit there and I'm like, mm, what can I make? What can I make? And I'm not very creative. But if my refrigerator is empty, I will mess around and make a gourmet dinner with saltines and bars and uh, <laughs> I can figure it out. I had to figure it out. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at Brent's comment here. Uh, <laughs> I, I can figure it out and get creative. And so with people who are desperate, when you're hungry, you get desperate, you get creative. 
It's the same thing with med school admissions. People are desperate. People are hungry to get in. People feel the pressure, feel the heat. And so what they're doing is getting, creating these super crazy, super complicated, super far out um, schemes to get into medical school. I'm here to tell you today that yes, we can acknowledge getting into medical school is hard, but it doesn't have to be complicated. It actually is very simple. And I'm going to teach you guys about the two D's of pre-med and the two D's of medical school admissions. Are you guys ready to learn these two D's? Let me know right now. Okay. The first D, well, I'll give you both D's. First D is distinct. The second D is distinguished. So with the first D distinct, what that means is that you must be different from other pre-meds. One of the big traps that pre-meds fall into is they feel a need to assimilate. They feel a need to imitate. They feel a need to be just like everybody else, to follow the exact steps that everyone around them is doing. Oh, you're a hospital volunteer? I'm a hospital volunteer. Oh, you're doing that? I'm going to do that. And they follow along. That's right, two Ds, baby. They follow along. And what they don't realize is it's like jumping in a line, but that line, then that line is an execution. You guys are signing up for your own execution for the death of your medical school dreams. Because medical schools are looking, you gotta imagine they're getting thousands and thousands of applications. Thousands. Imagine being a medical school admissions person. You sit there and you gotta read hundreds of applications. Everyone's applying to medical school, right? So how similar do you think those applications are in the sense that people have volunteering, people have research, people have the standards. And so it becomes very monotonous and what they're looking for and what's going to catch their eye are people who are different. Despite what you've heard, differences and diversity are valued in medical school and diversity is more than just skin color, is more than just ethnic background, is more than just your cultural background. It's diversity of experiences, diversity of person. So what you must present to medical schools is not just, I like medicine, I like science, I want to help people, so I'm going into medicine. That's boring, right? That's old. How many pre-meds, like, it's actually kind of funny. If you guys ever been to a pre-med conference, I find it hilarious. I go for the entertainment value. I don't need any information about getting into medical school, but I'll go and I'll hang around the med school tables just to listen to pre-meds preach and bombard deans and medical people with their sheepdom. Literally, you guys ever been to one of these conferences and you're standing at the table. Literally, it's a standing table. We're standing there. There's 50 people around and there'll be someone who's hands the dean their full resume <laughs> and then spouts off, I have 5 million clinical hours. I have 4,000 hours of research. Is that sufficient? Am I qualified for your school? And they yell all this stuff. I'm like, Oh gosh. Oh, oh, bless your heart, little child. You you think that you having 50,000 hours of research is going to get you into medical school. Precious child. That's what I want to say. This the parent in me just wants to hug them. <laughs> Omar, what up? <laughs> right? Just want to hug them. No, no. What you need to do, guys, is you need to think outside the box and you need to stop being a sheep. Stop blending in with the flock. Blaze your own trail. Be the wolf. Be an original character 
So that way, when medical schools are looking at all these hundreds, all these thousands of applications, they see you and you stand out like a sore thumb. Everyone else has on the black suits with the black tie and you got on a dumb and dumber, bright orange tux with the ruffles and the top hat. Be that person, right? Stand out. Medical schools want you to stand out. I know people have told you otherwise. That's not true. They want you to be a standout. They want you to be your own person. And the reason they want that is because medical schools don't want 80 or 200 or 250 clones. They don't want it. This is our entering class. They are all the exact same, 250 of them. What they are looking for are people that are going to bring something different and unique to their medical school class to round it out, to enrich it, right? Because if we have all these different and distinct people and they come together, they complement each other. Some have certain strengths, some have certain weaknesses, some have certain knowledge, certain experiences, and that all comes together to make everyone much more well-rounded. And if you aren't able to be distinct in some way and to stand out, then medical schools can't say how you fit in. When you apply to medical school, you want them to say you're the blank guy or the blank gal, and so you stand for something. They know what you're about. In my case, when I applied to medical school, when I was thinking about my extracurriculars and selecting my extracurriculars, I said to myself that, you know, what is distinct about me? What is my passion? And so when we talk about distinct, the question to ask yourself when you're trying to say, well, what, what does that mean? What is my distinct? Ask yourself, what do you want to do with your pre-med time? Did you know you had a choice? I feel like some of you guys didn't even know you had a choice about what you do as a pre-med. You absolutely have a 100% choice. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do other than work hard, right? Get the grades. There's not a whole lot of extracurriculars that you have to do to get into medical school. I myself, I got into medical school, got into Stanford. I had two and a half hours of clinical volunteering. Two and a half hours. I quit my very first shift. I went into my first shift. I sat through orientation. It was like eight hours of orientation to be a hospital volunteer. And this is how old I am. We were basically candy stripers back in the day. We had these horrible, horrible, like, I'm not even, it's not even turquoise, like not even teal. I don't know what the color would be. Like an off baby blue vest. And the vest, it was so cheesy. You put it over your head, it's like a crossing guard. Put it over your head and then it Velcroed on the sides. And you had to wear this garbage around the hospital because you're a volunteer. And they don't want you actually doing anything, right? It was, it was like a safety vest. It was like a, hey, do not get near me. I'm a weirdo type vest. We had to wear those. And so I sat through orientation. I got my vest. I paid money for this vest and everything in this uniform. And I showed up for my first shift. And <laughs> a little over an hour and a half into my shift, someone asked me to change an adult diaper. I was like, negative. I'm a volunteer here. I will not be changing a diaper. And they're like, no, you need to change a diaper. This is your job. I'm like, no, I'm not changing a diaper. They're like, you're here for clinic? I'm like, no, 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 no. And <laughs> were you a candy striper? Or was that, is that, is that, maybe that was gone. I don't know. I, I, I remember being a candy striper. That's what it was. But the candy cane ones, we didn't have candy cane. We were fancy. We were upscale. We had that turquoise. I feel like I was in like a, a Mad Men episode and I was like, Wearing the apron. It was ridiculous. But anyway, so they wanted me to change this adult diaper. And we all have to know ourselves. I'm good with a lot of things. What I'm not good with is fecal matter. Not at all. My wife, before we had children, she was like, 
uh, yeah, so what are you kind of dreading about being a parent? I'm like, oh, I love everything about it, but I'm not changing poopy diapers. And she's like, what do you mean you're not changing poopy diapers? I'm like, I'm not changing poopy diapers. I have a limit. I have a limit to how far I can go. Fecal matters where I stop. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I ended up changing some poopy diapers because I've matured in my old age. And I, you know, happy wife, happy life. She would have probably beat me up. I would have been divorced right now if I hadn't changed a poopy diaper. But I changed poopy diapers. But um, I wasn't willing to do this as a hospital volunteer. I didn't feel it was right. I wasn't getting paid to be there. I don't have to change a poopy diaper. And it came to a, like a, a standstill with me and the care provider. And so it got bumped up to the unit supervisor. And they were like, oh, uh, you need to change this diaper. You are here under our supervision. And you need to be doing these things to fulfill your duties. Of yada, yada. I'm like, I'm not changing diaper. Like, well, then uh, we're going to have to talk to your supervisor. Like, you don't talk to my supervisor. I quit. And I took off my turquoise vest in protest. And I almost left it there. I was going to throw it down in protest. But I kept it with me because I was a broke student. So I took my vest with me to hopefully get my money back. Of course, I didn't get my money back. Um, but that was my two and a half hours of hospital volunteering. That was it. I quit. First shift. Uh, they're like, we're not giving you a letter of recommendation. I'm like, good. Because I don't want anyone to know I ever wore this tacky turquoise vest. It was a TTV. Tacky turquoise vest. Britt, it happened to you too? UCSD had turquoise? is ridiculous. Can't do this. So anyway, um, so I quit my clinical hours. I only had two and a half hours. How many of you guys think you can't get into medical school with no clinical volunteering? How many of you guys think you cannot get into medical school with no clinical volunteering? Right, people are saying, yeah, no, no, you can. I got into Stanford, no clinical volunteering. It's very important, right? You don't have to do that. People ask me what's the worst part. Well, we're talking about poop right here, right? What people ask me what's the worst part of being an anesthesiologist? The worst part of being an anesthesiologist is emptying the pee bag. I guess that actually that's probably second worst. The worst part of <laughs> the worst part of being an anesthesiologist is when you extubate a patient. So as anesthesiologists, we put a tube in to breathe for the patient during the operating procedure. And then after we pull the tube out of their lungs, when you have a smoker, like I feel like for kids, they should have this like as an anti-smoking campaign. They should show an extubation of a smoking patient because whenever you extubate a smoking patient, it's like everyone protect your face because you pull the tube out and there is the nastiest clump of lung goo ever at the end of that tube. It's almost like, again, I, I, I'm married, I have a wife, like the hair gets in the drain and then like, she don't care, but I care about all this hair. So then I pull it out of the drain and then now it's all crusted with the soap and all the leftovers and whatever. And it's just like, it's that's what their endotracheal tube looks like after you extubate them. It's awful. I think I got off topic here, but it's okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's the worst part of being an But I refuse to do that. And so I didn't do clinical volunteering. Instead, what I did was I chose to spend my time in activities that I was passionate about. I chose to say, well, how do I want to spend my time? What do I want to do? What is my life about? And I said, what am I passionate about? And if you guys ask yourself that question before you pick extracurriculars, it goes a huge, long way. A huge, long way. Because how many of you guys feel like you do a lot of things during pre-med that you don't see the point of? There are classes that you feel are pointless. Spoiler alert, none of your classes are pointless. There's value in all of them, but you feel like it's pointless. All you wanna do is care about patients. Why am I doing this poetry class? It all has value, okay? 
all the activities you do, many of you guys are doing activities that feel pointless because you haven't taken the time to create the point, to create meaning, to find your passion, and to live that passion through your extracurriculars. And this is why we have so many pre-meds who grumble about their pre-med experience. For me, other than like the, the, the poopy accident and, and some other incidents, my pre-med track was actually very positive. And I had a lot of fun doing pre-med and dominating pre-med and getting the A's and, and doing all my extracurriculars because I picked extracurriculars I was passionate about. It's, 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 it goes, it's, it's, it's tremendous. And so when I talk about finding your passion, your passion is important. For me, my passion was mentoring and teaching. As you guys can see, right? I still mentor and I teach. That's what I was into. And I said to myself, I want to spend my time mentoring and teaching. So I signed up for every mentor teaching program and tutoring program I could find. I started a tutoring company. I was a peer mentor. I did all of these things that were things that I was passionate about. And as a result, it was always fun to go to my extracurricular, to go to my work, because my work was something that I actively picked based on my passion. And for you guys, if you switch and you say, listen, how can I be distinct? What is my passion? What do I want to do? You're going to see that you guys are going to make a much bigger impact. You're going to achieve much more in your extracurriculars because you love it. So you're going to be engaged. You're going to spend extra time. You're going to want to be there. You're going to go the extra mile. You're going to go above and beyond. And that's what happened in all of my extracurriculars. Like when I was a, a peer tutor, people would put like, oh, I'm available uh, one hour uh, a week. And I would say, I'm available 24-7. Here's my number. Call me because I love it. I want to teach you how to study. I want to teach you how to be a great student. I want to help you and propel you forward. So for me, it was all fun stuff. So you guys have to do that with yourself because it'll make you engage. The other thing it does when you pick your extracurriculars based on your passion, based on what makes you you, based on what you want to do, is that it becomes a lifelong activity. Meaning what you are doing today is not just about today. And for many of you guys, when you do your extracurriculars, it's only about that moment, only about that now, and it has no bearing on your future. But if you pick activities and extracurriculars that are true to your passion, then what happens is, is that you see how what you're doing today is building your future for tomorrow. So for me, when I was tutoring and I was mentoring and I was being there for students, I saw this day when I could be someone who empowers students. I saw this. And what's cool about that, not only from a, a happiness and a joy perspective and that I love what I do, you also can relay that effectively to medical schools. How many of you guys have had friends who have told you, man, it was so hard writing my personal statement. It was so hard thinking about what to say in my application about this activity. I was having writer's block on this activity. I didn't know what to say about it. That's because there is nothing to say about that activity. But if you were passionate about it, you picked it for a reason, it has meaning, you made an impact, you made a difference, then guess how much richer, how much more robust your personal statement, your application is when you write it that way. When they can literally feel the steam and the passion coming off of your writing through the computer because you wrote it with such energy and such excitement for what's going on. You guys see me, I get geeked up talking about student success. That's how you want your application to be. And so when you say to schools, hey, listen, I've owned a tutoring company. I've been a peer tutor. I've been a TA. I've done this. I've done all these educational things. 
It's easy for them to believe you when you say, when I go into medical school, when I'm a doctor, I'm going to continue to teach. I'm going to continue to, to be scholarly. I'm going to continue to push academics forward because they can see it because you've been doing it. Does that make sense to everybody? That's the power of passion because it'll ring true that, no, this is not something that I just did for the moment. It's not something I did to check a box. This is my life. This is me. This is all of it. So then your application is just, it's like a graphic novel. It's like a Twilight book. They can't put it down. The reviewer's like, oh my gosh, this is this Jacob and what was the other guy's name? Edward, Team Jacob, Team Edward. Who's, who's she going to end up with? Oh my gosh, these vampires, right? That's how you want your application to be, like a, like a teen novel, like the Hunger Games, something like that, right? So distinct is the first D. Is everybody clear on the first D and why it matters to try to be your individual self and to try to stand out and to be different and the value it presents not only to medical schools and to getting to medical school, well, that's a secondary reason, but number one, to your happiness, to your joy, to your life, to your impact. If you're trying to be a doctor, you should want to make an impact. And following your passion is the way you make big, big impact. That's the first D. The second D is distinguished. Yes, Harpreet, we always live with passion first. And with passion, you can do anything. Okay, Val said that your application becomes 500% more robust when you're following your passion. Thank you guys who are on here with me live. Okay. So Degenerate asked, how did the interviewers view your low clinical hours? Well, as we'll get to, the interviewers didn't care about my low clinical hours because I was so distinct and I was so, the second D, distinguished that the low clinical volunteering hours just faded away. Just faded away. I was a firecracker of excellence and of diversity so they couldn't see that I didn't have very many clinical hours. They didn't care. Got lost. So the distinguished is the second D. And when we say distinguished, we mean better. We mean excellent. We mean suprema. How have you distinguished yourself as a pre-med? If I were to ask that right now, how are you different from every other pre-med? What makes you, how have you been better than other pre-meds? What makes you better? Could you answer that question? I'll be at a conference this week at USF and I'll ask students, hey, what makes you better than the person sitting next to you? There's a hundred pre-meds in here. When I get the keynote, they'll be close to a thousand. Okay, out of the thousand of you guys, what makes you guys, what makes you different from the 999 other people who are in this auditorium? What makes you different? And very, very rarely does someone stand up with pride and say, this is how I'm better. This is how I'm different. Because most pre-meds don't know. And they're ashamed to be called on to talk about their greatness because they haven't focused on being great. So I'm always talking about no excuses, just dominate. It's not about thriving. It's not about being average. It's not about getting by because getting by is not how you get into medical school. You can get by or you can get excellent and then get into medical school. You've got to choose. So how have you been excellent as a pre-med? If you're a current pre-med and you still have time, ask yourself and look for real ways that you can be excellent. 
What does it mean to be distinguished? What does it mean to be excellent? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the call of normal duty. So when you guys are in a position, in a role, and you're doing something in an activity, what are you doing to advance that role and to do more than what everyone else who has that role has? If you're the club president, how are you making yourself the best club president that there's ever been? Or are you just like every other president, following the instructions on the president's sheet? Did you create new initiatives? Did you grow the membership? Did you make change on the campus? Did you change your community? If not, you're the exact same as every other organization president that applies to medical school. And there are thousands of them, <laughs> right? There are literally thousands of them. How are you making yourself different? How are you going beyond the call of duty? And then I mentioned this kind of briefly, but the impact part. It's not about participating in an activity. It's not the activity itself that medical schools care about. It's about the impact. One of the reasons I was okay quitting my clinical volunteering job was because I understood that as a volunteer, my impact is limited. Let's be truthful. How many of you guys have been candy stripers? I don't, they don't still call that. It's not, I guess it's not a technical term. But how many of you guys are hospital patient whatever? What do they call it now? I don't know. Hospital patient volunteers, whatever it is. How many of you guys have volunteered in the hospital? What impact is your volunteering making? How are you different from the other 10,000 hospital volunteers? Like, truthfully, I'm asking. I will wait because this is such an important point. Because some people are going to flag, wave their hand to this and say, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I ask you, if you're trying to stand out to medical schools who get over 50,000 applications, how are you different from every other applicant who volunteers in a hospital? Right, Stephen, you're a candy striper. How are you different from every other candy striper? Most of the time, right, your shift just involves jumping out of the way, <laughs> making sure you don't bog down real patient care. And that's unfortunate, right? You take someone from one room to another room. Make sure the place is clean, make sure there's no trash, get your four hours, get on with your day, get on with your life. But where's the impact? As I say that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't hospital volunteer. There's value in it. But when we go to doing pre-med and thinking about being distinct and being distinguished, this is an opportunity to move beyond the activity itself and think about our goals and what we're trying to do. And so with hospital volunteering, the hospital volunteering itself is not necessary for medical school. What is necessary? Clinical experience. They want to know that you have been in a clinical environment and you know what being a doctor is. It just so happens that the most common way that people do this is volunteering in a hospital. But the two aren't the same. 
So if we understand what we actually have to do and what muscles are looking for, then we understand that we actually have options. So my, my student Kasim is on here talking about, I volunteer for heart, uh, for heart, for, for, for heart of hospice. And this is different because we actually go to patients' houses and where they are most comfortable and help with errands and developing real long lasting relationships. That's different because now you're going to have a real life patient who you know very well to talk about. You know what? I worked with Miss Rose and Miss Rose is probably 150 and she was actually on the Titanic when it went down. And every day I would go to her house and she was so thankful to see me because I reminded her of a boy she knew long ago named Jack. And I would come over and she'd say, Jack, Jack, you're back. Jack, Jack, you're back. I thought you were lost to the bottom of the sea. But every time I was there, Jack was back. He didn't drown. He was he, as sexy as, as Jack was. He didn't drown. He was back in her living room. And I brightened up her day. And every time I was there, she smiled and had a good day. And we connected. And I felt like I made her time on this earth better. And you can talk about that. Does that make sense? For people who aren't catching that, Again, I might be a little old, but I was describing the movie Titanic with Jack and Rose, which I'm still bitter about. A, the movie was too long, but then B, the fact that she had the whole door and then he just slipped into the ocean and she had a little hoarse voice talking about Jack, Jack. It's pretty weak, pretty weak. But anyway, does that make sense? Right. That's the experience that you can describe that's going to stand out to medical schools <laughs> over... <laughs> over being in the hospital volunteering. The other thing I'll say, right, is another alternative is there's a great um, company, uh, Cope Health Solutions. They have a program called the Cope Health Scholars. If you guys are not familiar, I highly recommend you look into it. It costs money for this volunteering. Some programs cost money, this costs more money. But what I love about their program is that they see the value in you guys as more than just patient care providers. They understand that you're very limited as a patient care provider, so what they actually try to do is provide opportunities for you guys to get exposure to other aspects of healthcare, including administration and take leadership positions. They, they created ways for you to make yourself distinguished from other volunteers. So check that out, Cope Health Solutions, their Cope Health Scholars Program, check that out. Um, uh, but then you can make an impact. So then if we go beyond the call of duty and we make the impact, Yes, we can tell a story about how we touched Rose's life or whatever it might be, but how do we really, really set ourselves apart from everyone else? Well, we have to concretize our greatness. We have to concretize our excellence. We have to concretize our distinguishment. That's a word, okay? <laughs> and we do that in three different ways. Are we ready? The first way is with the letter of recommendation. A letter of recommendation is the gold of your application. If you write in your application that you cured cancer during your research project, yet you don't have a letter of recommendation from your PI, what do you think the medical school reviewer thinks about what you said? Bradford, I'm glad you caught me live. If you guys do not know, I am live right now on YouTube filming this. This is the second episode in the 
Dominate Pre-Med show. I'm so excited. We are now video. We are now podcast. This is a multimedia show. I'm very excited to bring you guys this and to bring you guys high quality information. So if you guys are liking what you're hearing so far, make sure you subscribe. This is your first time with me. If you're on here live with me right now, like this. Let me know that I'm giving you a word that you need today, that I'm helping you, that I'm creating clarity in this kind of murky world of pre-med and getting to medical school, let me know. So the letter of recommendation, if you say you did something great in an activity, but you don't have a letter of recommendation, then it's all fluff. Exactly. Like you see just said, it's all right. Like Val just said, exaggeration. It comes off as disingenuous because if you really made a substantial impact, then why wouldn't your supervisor want to recognize your hard work? It's like anything. You need, right, a witness to corroborate your story. So if you say you're great, but no one else backs that up, it's no bueno. It is no bueno. So you have to get a letter of recommendation from your significant activities showing your tremendous impact. Thank you so much, Bearded Drake. I appreciate that. Okay. The second thing, right, so you get a letter through three ways to concretize your greatness. First one, letter of recommendation. The second one is other forms of formal recognition. Yes, Val, Val is correct. We are live right now. Some of you guys listen to this on the recording on the podcast, but we are live right now, and then the recording goes up on the podcast. But we are live action right now. <laughs> okay, so the second way, so first one is letter of recommendation. The second way is formal recognition. What are other examples of formal recognition that you could get to concretize your excellence. How about an award? How about a certification? How about other forms of special acknowledgement? How about a promotion? How about financial incentives, scholarship? How about a raise, right? Other forms that show you put in work, you made an impact, and therefore they want to recognize your impact and reward you for that impact. So if you've been in a lot of activities, but people haven't acknowledged you, haven't recognized your greatness, if they can't recognize your greatness, then why would medical schools recognize it? So we have to think about that when we go through our, our activities of, well, how am I going to concretize this? What is the recognition that I need to be receiving? And I'm not saying you should seek out praise, but as you're doing jobs, as you're doing activities, as you're involved in things, you should be looking at ways that you can be acknowledged. A, first look at ways to make an impact but then look for ways to be acknowledged for that impact. The third thing you can do to concretize your greatness is output. Output. What is output? That is any direct impact, right? So if you make an impact, if you're, if you're doing something, there may be an output from it. So an outcome, right? If you do work, right, it produces something. So do you produce from your activity? And the simplest example of this is research. If you do research, the output would be what? Scholarly output, posters, presentations, publications, lit reviews, etc. Right? Those are outputs. So if you did lots of work, there should be an output to what you're doing. Did you write a book? Did you publish? Right? Did you bring in a new initiative that spawned? whatever, right? There should be some form of output to your work. 
something sustainable, something lasting, something there that will go out into the world that you can point to for them to see that you did that work. Abby asked the question, would a letter of recommendation from seniors at the IRS, which current career, be relevant since it's not medically focused? So Abby, this goes back to our first thing we were talking about being distinct. So if you've worked for the IRS, that's cool. That's cool. That's very unique, right? Like I, I don't know anyone who's ever worked for the IRS. So if you were at the IRS and you did big things and you made an impact in that career and there are skills and characteristics that carry over, which I'm sure there are, don't you think medical schools would want to hear about it, right? I, I imagine you have to be trustworthy. You have to be organized, right? You have to be professional to work the IRS. Don't you think those are same characteristics that they want to see in their doctor? So why wouldn't you present that to them? Okay, so letters of recommendation, recognition, and output. Distinct and distinguished. Are you guys ready for a, an example of what being distinct and being distinguished means? If you guys are enjoying this, right, before I get to this example, please take the time, like this, subscribe, let people know you are here, that the Dominate Pre-Med show is off the hook, and that I'm bringing you expertise. If you have a question, get to my website, studenttransformation.com, click on leave me a voicemail, and I will answer your question live on here. Send me a question, guys, so I can make sure that you're informed and you have the answers you need. Here's the example. I have a student. She applied to medical school. She didn't get in. She recognized that she needed to fill in the gap some way. So she messaged me, got into my how to dominate the pre-med, how to dominate pre-med course. She then also got into my coaching program. So she signed up to work with me as her coach. And in our coaching, we discussed the fact that her application, while strong, was very generic and very bland because it wasn't clear how she was distinct, living her passion, and then being excellent as she lived her passion. And so we brainstormed a way for her to be distinct and distinguished in that year before she reapplied. And what she was saying was that, you know what, I've always been interested in biomedical devices, biopharma, and industry development. And I've studied it, and I think it would be great, as I, she's a black female, she's like, as a black female, if more minority students got exposed to it. And I would love in some way to facilitate students getting exposure. I said, well, what do you have in mind? And we brainstormed, and she came up with the idea of a summer program for underserved, right, underrepresented, disadvantaged students to come to a college campus, learn from master's students and PhD students in industry, and then also other industry companies to come in and teach these students about what biopharma is and pharmaceutical development and device development, and then to give them, and she set up a whole curriculum with projects and presentations, and it was amazing. And she put together this whole summer program, got the program funded, put students through the program, okay? So she was able to put, I think, it was like right around 20 students through the program, and then she received, right? So not only did the program go off with a success, the students loved it, the parents loved it, she got all the funding for it, right? She got the school to, to recognize her and give her an award for that experience. 
And the net effect is, is that when she then applied the second time, we tweaked some other things with the application, but this was one of the major tweaks we made. We were able to present the case that this is what I'm passionate about. This is how I was excellent. And I started my own program, fully funded, impacted the lives of these students. And even after I leave, I put in the infrastructure for this program to continue because the school loved it so much. In addition, they gave me an award to recognize my innovation. This is my passion. Going to medical school will allow me to have the medical knowledge to be able to go into industry and be a leader in industry. And as a physician, I see myself being heavily involved in device development and also continuing to mentor and to bring people along and recognize that this area is available. She got in the next cycle and she got into one of her top choices. The separator, guys, between getting in and not getting in are these two Ds. How have you been distinct and how have you been distinguished? If you guys can do this, and there's some other things you have to do, but these are the two main things. If you can live with your passion and do your passion well, medical schools will like you. But too many of you guys are out here being copycats, not living your passion, not being yourself, afraid to stand out. And there's nothing excellent, there's nothing extraordinary, there's nothing special about your pre-med record. So why would I want you if I'm medical school? I want a special student. I want the top caliber student. I don't want you, the plain pre-med, there's 50,000 other people like you. We have to think about it in these terms. If you guys can do this, it's the simplest way I can think about pre-med. When you guys are deciding about what you should get involved in, what you need to be doing, Think about it this way. And there's a whole lot more to this and we can bring it all down. I have this whole framework, but this is where you guys need to start. Distinct and distinguished. If you guys want to understand how to do that, how to execute to a T these double Ds, <laughs> then you need to get to my website, studenttransformation.com and check out my course, How to Dominate Pre-Med. It's a course that's amazing that breaks down everything you have to do in pre-med to be successful. It's right there and it's super affordable. I also have the total pre-med transformation, which is my pre-med coaching program where you get all of my pre-med courses and you get coaching from me and help with your application and all that kind of stuff. Very affordable, guys. So all that's available on my website, studenttransformation.com. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Episode number two in the books, the Dominate Pre-Med Show, guys. It's a mix of me talking, mix of me answering your questions, and a mix of interviews. It's going to be so much great stuff coming for you guys. So I just encourage you guys, keep coming back. Tell a friend. Um, if you enjoyed this, subscribe. Take a second, comment. Let me know that you are enjoying this, uh, that it is well, as is, is a, now what now, 48 minutes uh, well spent of your time. I thank you guys for hanging out with me. Um, for my people who are on here live with me now. Yeah, this is so funny. Abby says, shoot, I should be taking notes. I'll have to watch again and get my life together and sign up for the course. Yeah, get in our TPT and get with us. It's clarity. Clarity. Oh, that's a little John Mayer. Um, all right, so thank you guys so much for joining me. I will see you guys next time. Thank you guys very much. As always, what do we say, guys? What do we say? What do we say? What do we say? What do we say? No excuses, just dominate. I'm Dr. Pineset, and I am out, y'all. Today is the day, guys. No more excuses. No more complaining. You're going to take your future in your own hands. You're going to dominate. You're going to be successful. Get to my website, studenttransformation.com. I challenge you 
What are you going to do today to make your life better?